Off the Bench is a podcast created by ASCLS that will discuss the scientific and not so scientific ideas in laboratory medicine. We are joined by members of ASCLS, fellow scientists, educators, and researchers, along with those interested in the profession. We share ideas and talk nerdy. This episode of Off the Bench is sponsored by the University of Cincinnati Online. Do you have laboratory experience? If so, you can qualify for the Master of Science in Medical Laboratory Science Leadership at the University of Cincinnati Online. This fully online master's program teaches you the skills you need to lead and excel in the lab and beyond. All laboratory backgrounds are welcome. Visit online.uc.edu mlsl to learn more. And welcome back to Off the Bench podcast by ASCLS. My name's Dorian Redding. And I'm Sophia Chandrasekhar. And we are here with you today for the November episode of this podcast. So yeah. last month's episode was all about story time with Dr. Brandy Gonzalez, DCLS, and listening to her stories from her lucrative lab career, it really gives us an opportunity to talk about other stories that people have from all across the country in all different labs and our universal shared interest in crazy lab stories. Um, it being November and it being the time of giving thanks, I think that everyone can relate to, you know, just sitting around a Thanksgiving table and sharing stories with friends and family. Um, these were stories that were recorded at JAM in July, right, Sophia? Yep, um, yep. And we have taken the time to sift through them and really listen to them um, and and have some key takeaways and the ones that really resonate with us. Yeah, these everyone who reached out to us saying that they wanted to share a story as we were able to record with them. It was fantastic meeting everybody in person again after, you know, such a long time being virtual and not really mm. getting to interact in person. So it was, it was even better to have story time in person, you know, um, mm -hmm. and everyone had different stories. There was no particular theme. I said, come and share any story you wanted. And mm -hmm. even with the such a broad range of topics essentially going from the crazy to the heartwarming to the celebratory to the what in the world like you know we got all sorts all of them still had like underlying themes that really connected all together aside from the fact that they're all lab related right mm -hmm. and um it, it i feel like this episode will really just kind of warm your heart make you think about things and you know make you think about sort of what are your stories and the experiences you have had as well as um experiences your you know your lab peers have had maybe maybe you know of like a laboratory legend in your lab like I know a couple of legends in my lab that you know <laughs> one day I'll share um so so it's it's always great to hear how different places do things because as you know yeah. every single place is a different kind of lab right like mm -hmm. My lab is different than Dorian's lab, which is different than Justin's lab or et cetera. So, so many labs. So many different <laughs> labs. And since this is a celebratory month, we are going to kick it off with Crystal's story. 
talking yeah. about celebrations. Hi, so my name's Crystal. Um, the story I'm gonna share uh, is just about like our lab celebrations. So um, last year we had a really awesome lab week. Big shout out to my coworker Vanessa who actually put that on and kind of gave me the encouragement to join her um, in this past year. And we've done a couple of different celebrations. Uh, more than just lab week which is really great so we um, kind of started off our fall with the fall festivities and we had three oh. months of activities wow that sounds amazing uh, it was great and it wasn't like something every single day so it wasn't mm -hmm. super overwhelming we tried to do like maybe one food activity a month mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but really it was just kind of a way to take some time to get to celebrate with each other celebrate each of the different shifts so like we have two separate night shift shifts so um, oh. we each work a week on week off okay, so okay. when I'm working there's another shift that's not working so we wanted to try and incorporate enough celebrations so that everybody felt like they were being celebrated um, just have the opportunity to have fun mm -hmm. um, so we went from that directly into our 12 days of Christmas uh, mostly because it was a little bit of a last-minute planning and we mm -hmm. only had 12 days left till Christmas so it worked out <laughs> perfectly um, also a perfect excuse to wear pajamas at work and administration yes. was okay with that. Yes, it's perfect. Exactly. And a hot chocolate bar. It was oh great. Gosh. I want to do a hot chocolate bar though. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you I'm, should. I'm Full totally fixings, everything. That work. Yes. It went over so well. Everybody loved it. I would recommend though, like doing the individual packets. Okay. We did a crock pot full. Mm. And so you had to make a different one each shift and it just kind of. Yeah. Individual packets. Individual packets. packets perfect. And maybe do hot water. We did milk, but. Um, so then we went from that into our lab week. Um, unfortunately, right before our lab week festivities this year, um, we had a lot of people leave kind of all at once. So we had um, four different people leave um, that kind of put a lot of stress and pressure on all of us. So I went from a day shift position to night shift to help out. Um, our mid shifts changed their hours around. And our day shift is now very short staffed because we, we've been moving people to different shifts mm -hmm. to kind of alleviate that pressure. Um, so our lab week this year was not fantastic. Um, we did a couple of little theme days, but it wasn't mm -hmm. anything as glorious as last year or any of our other festivities. Right, right. Um, and also, like none of these activities are put on by our administration. Like these are all things that we said, "Hey, we want to recognize ourselves. We want to celebrate ourselves, and we're celebrating those little wins." Um, kind of like how Chief uh, Master Sergeant Johnson said in the mm -hmm. opening keynote. I'm just celebrating the little wins, which is what we've done all year. And because we didn't get to have as great of a lab week as we really wanted to, mm -hmm, we're planning mm -hmm. on doing um, a little bit of a summer celebration here in a few weeks, our Christmas in July. Oh, that's cute. I love, um, that. I love that. Also going to call it a splash in summer for those of us that don't like to celebrate Christmas in July for whatever <laughs> horrible reason, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're going to do um, just a little bit of something in the summer to just kind of make up for that. As, uh, we're not feeling as much pressure now. We've, had, we've hired um, a couple of people that have really helped. We laboratorians love a celebration and we love to talk about it too, right? Like, hey, my first segment with Off the Bench was just me excited to talk about lab week celebrations, right? Like we just love, we love a party. We're party laboratorians. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, can you imagine working in a place where, you know, you could celebrate something for that long? Like it seems kind of crazy <laughs> that they were able to do such a long celebration, but at the same time, yeah. I imagine like the mood must have been so much improved with like uh -huh. trying to find like like just like the little wins every day right like celebrating yeah. little wins and yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know I I love that I love that feeling of you know there's always something we can celebrate and things like that mm -hmm. um I did also ask her if they did other celebrations aside from like you know uh their giant celebrations because uh so like at my 
laboratory, we celebrated a random holiday a month based off of this every day is a holiday calendar. I think like one year it was rubber duck holiday day. Stop. So my <laughs> my supervisor had bought in had like brought in like about a hundred rubber ducks and everyone got to have one. So like, you know, I I I love I love, I love a good celebration. But yeah, yeah, I did ask Crystal like what other kind of celebrations uh they've done and here's her response. Uh, well, one of them that we've um, done re here recently was we did um, a potluck and we are a very diverse lab. Like we mm -hmm. have people from the Philippines, um, we have people from India um, and some of us from all over the world. We have um, one, of, one of my coworkers is from South Africa. So oh. we have a lot of diversity in that regard and getting to kind of meld that all together in the lab is just an excellent things you get to celebrate and enjoy, um, try things from um, different countries mm -hmm. that you just weren't expecting. So I love the universality of it. Right. Wait, yeah, because you can do you can do like a potluck, like any kind of potluck anytime for any reason. But I think it's cool that she talks about the diversity of everyone and celebrating that. And I mean, we have listeners here on the podcast that are from literally all around the world. So that's a cool Bobbles moment to share. Oh yeah. <laughs> Hello, international listeners. We love you very much. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I love seeing every interaction that we have with them, too. And I mean, um, speaking about, you know, just laboratorians love celebrations. I mean, we see that on social media as well, like our official ASCLS accounts on social media always get the most interactions on or around lab week or our conferences, which is just basically every time that we party. Um, much. And <laughs> Um, and I think that that's a good place for us to have like common ground and, and where we see that like we are just like this lab party community. We really are. And if are anything, like, you know, we're one, like, I think the biggest thing, even if you're not a big party person, you like to have fun. But of course, mm. you know, we may all have slightly different definitions of fun because uh, Crystal also shared another story with us about uh, some fun in her lab. Some fun. So here is that clip. I might have a prank video or video prank uh, prank story for you. Though. Okay, okay. Um, not my own story. Uh, this was told to me as I was going into tour after I'd interviewed. Uh, so um, two of the, our coworkers on the weekends like to have a little fun. They're both um, previous military and just love to love to cut up. That mm -hmm. that was their thing. Um, one of them wears a Hawaiian style type T-shirts to work all the time. It's very professional, like. Yes, we love yes. and appreciate him for it, um, and I won't I won't drop names so that nobody gets in trouble. But um, they uh, they made kind of a, like a homemade bomb concoction with some dry ice, <laughs> and they may or may not have sent that through the tube system. <gasps> what happened? I have no idea. That part was not told to me. Oh Just that it happened. So use your imagination there. And uh... <laughs> so obviously we do not condone uh, any homemade dry ice. <laughs> receptacle bomb like things we do not condone oh any of that ascls says no don't do things that will destroy <laughs> things um unfortunately we obviously ah. apparently like they they still work i'm assuming they still work there because she's talking about two people that she knows um we don't know the conclusion uh she did say that it is a smaller hospital that this incident occurred at uh so probably nothing too damaging and that's why she mm. also didn't drop names but don't do that Mm -hmm. It is a form of fun. 
<laughs> you have fun in a you know less destructive manner mm. um uh one th- one one fun thing i've seen is uh for some reason some people will sometimes send us packets of jam through the tube station of jam? not sure why like it's just like a little jelly it's just like a like a little like jelly from the cafeteria from the cafeteria yes no idea why i'm not even sure they mean to i find <laughs> it funny whenever i get jam come like haha and that's my jam oh my gosh (laughs) wait that's so funny you just reminded me about how in my facility like the labs are like separated so like core lab is in a completely different building from like the blood bank and sometimes when it's just like really slow on the shifts like we'll have just like communications through the tube system or like whenever there's a holiday (laughs) they'll send like festive coloring pages and just like Hi, what's going on? Post-it note, send. I'm good. How are you? Post-it note, send back. I mean, <laughs> people love having fun by a tube station. Who knew? Right? That's that's the kind of fun you should be having. Don't send things <laughs> that can break or do destruction. Oh my god. That is that is a no-no. <laughs> I approve of the coloring pages. At the end of the day, it's all about our lab community, right? We we want to have a good time together. We want to show our appreciation for one another. And I think that leads into our next story, right, Sophia? Definitely. Because if anything, like, you know, the big one of the big parts about being in a community is also participating in it and supporting your community and doing what you can, but at the same time, also taking care of yourself, right? So here's a story from Brooke that talks about her community her lab community. This is Brooke Whitaker. I am a laboratory manager for Novant Health Rowan Medical Center. Um, It's part of a large system in North Carolina, and I am also a Rutgers DCLS graduate. Congratulations. So um, throughout my career, I have worked primarily in like little small community hospitals, and I was always able to... um, develop those relationships with those the ED docs and the nurses because I've worked a lot of third shift and um, whenever anything you know was off or didn't look right they felt comfortable coming and asking me hey are you having any issues and when I told them I didn't have any issues but QC was good and the calibrations were good they accepted their results and they knew it was patient mm-hmm. and then they also um, there were times when I was having issues and they would walk down and be like, what's going on? And I, you know, got the a crazy Einstein hair going around because I'm like trying to figure things out. And I'm like, all right, you're trying to work on it. We're going to leave you alone. We're just going to let them know downstairs that this is. Um, and that's one of the reasons I stayed in the, the small hospitals. Um, I did do my residency in a larger hospital. I worked there for a little while. I was able to um, help that um, micro molecular lab through the COVID pandemic. Um, we started with... Um, I had seven employees and I had to run a lab 24 seven. Um, so you want to talk about teamwork and just, um, I jumped right in there with them. I didn't let, you know, it didn't matter that I was the manager had a doctorate. I didn't care. I was not going to step back and watch them drown, Mm -hmm. which really helped me as a manager, learn my staff, Mm -hmm. um, help them guide through the, it, all the issues we all saw as how daily they changed mm-hmm. and um, they stuck with me through it. I didn't, I didn't lose any of them. They stuck with me all the way through it. And then as 
things kind of started to slow down a little bit, we were able to fully staff the department and, you know, build a really good team. And I'm really proud of that. At And it's just by being one of them and being at their level, helping them where, meeting them where they are, doing what they need to help them not burn themselves out mm -hmm. and also not burn myself out. Yeah. So there was a lot of flexibility and scheduling and helping each other out, you know, through the whole thing. It was, it was despite the pandemic, it was a really good experience. They are, I'm excited about it. Um, so um, I have, you know, all those stories of when I was first starting out. Um, I worked in a small community hospital, third shift, and this is when we still had to wash our pipettes. Yep. And um, started the whole thing, was washing them. Something happened. I'm pretty, probably in ED or blood bank. I can't remember. Completely forgot about it. Flooded the lab. <laughs> so then I had to mop all that up before first shift got there, you know, and clean all that up. You know, it's one of the, some of those oops moments you have mm -hmm. um, as a new tech. Um, I have, I'm, again, in another community hospital, um, actually this same community hospital, they started doing heart transplants, or not transplants, started to do an open heart surgery. And I was working the night shift where their first patient actually went bad. And they cracked her chest right there in the ICU. Like I was running the blood down to the ICU, and they cracked her chest right there in the ICU and just started wheeling her up. So I'm like running behind them like with their blood and then going back to the, and getting everything ready. And they sent somebody down to try to help me. And I'm like, you can't help me. Like, I just need you to step back, mm -hmm. step back. And I will hand you what's ready when it's ready. And you can courier up there. And the next night when I got there, um, I had lifesavers in my box because oh. I had helped save that lady's mm -hmm. life. So it's yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Those those stories like that are just that's why I'm a, that's why I'm in laboratory medicine. I love her humility, right? I mean, she's so she has her finger on the pulse of her people. I mean, she's acknowledging burnout. I mean, we've definitely talked on here about burnout before, and if you've heard that, I mean, you know, it's essentially an epidemic to our career and profession so hearing that there are people in management out there that like really care about their people i mean that's really comforting i know a lot of people have negative experiences with management with their coworkers, with being you know under or overwhelmed with what they expected the profession to maybe be oh yeah and um, and the fantastic thing is that she was actually telling me that she has left to go to a new management position um and she's getting to learn all like get to know all her people there and she was like saying how um before she left basically there's almost like a line of people ready to like go in and work with her and to mm -hmm. me that just shows the dedication of a true leader of someone mm -hmm. like you know i have a supervisor and a manager that i am very loyal to because i know they have my back and so i've got yeah. their back Right. And just showing that and like being a part of that community, it will make people want to stay. Right. Like yeah. she even acknowledged it. Like she didn't lose a single person because she's yeah. she was able to like keep an eye on things like that. Right. Like that's absolutely amazing. And yeah. like, you know, and plus also like the the community beyond the lab too. Right. Like she even acknowledges how there's 
the hospital community, right? Like she was on such good relations with her ED or like her, the doctors oh, yeah. in her hospital that they feel comfortable to talk to her. I know yeah. not all places, like some of the big, big places. I mean, I was at a big, big place and that was yeah. some doctors are tough. Some doctors Lost are awesome. in translation, you think? Oh yeah, definitely. I think, I think so. I think it's one of those words like, you know, you don't really get to know people. You don't really know what goes on. So they, they become a them until you get to know them. Right. And then it becomes a we. Yeah. No, and, and it goes a long way to have that kind of trust in the system that are around you and the people. Um, and I mean, shout out to how she referenced, you know, it being a small rural hospital too. I mean, that is like just such a backbone to people living in like the rural America setting i mean and for our listeners out there i don't know how many people know this but i think it's kind of a cool fact that apparently um 97 of the united states land area is defined as rural and that is like such a drastic number to me that i never really thought about apparently an estimated 60 million people live in rural america that's like one in five million yeah holy crap and people don't think about that i think people are just like oh well yeah you know rural america it's like someone on a farm <laughs> in like the middle of the valley of two hills or something but it's like there's so much you know i feel like we're using this word to death here but just community in that setting and knowing everyone in that community and having that trust in your neighbor, in your healthcare setting, it, it just, it goes a long way. Definitely. Like, I think, <clears throat> I think the key word there is trust, right? Like, like, like you can't have a community without some level of trust. And there seems to be so much trust in like all the places she's been to be able to have that strong of a community. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's her team trusting her, her doctors trusting her. She trusts her doctors, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's fantastic. And yeah. that actually leads us into our next story uh, mm -hmm. told to us by Heather, who was featured on a different episode. Um, and Heather actually talks about how for her, like, you know, her impact. And if you think about the, the, our community impact, it also goes towards the patient, but also the patient's community, too. Right, so here is her story. Hi, I'm Heather Harrington. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where JAM will be next year. And I work with Allegheny Health Network. I recently started a job in the cell processing lab, which is a little bit different from most lab jobs. Um, in addition to doing normal lab, like away in the lab by yourself stuff, we do flow cytometry, stuff like that. We also actually work with patients, which is a little bit weird. Um, we do procedures on the floor like leukodepletions for patients with leukemias. Um, we do red cell exchanges for patients with sickle cell disease. Um, we do plasma exchange for patients with autoimmune diseases. But one of my most memorable moments was doing a stem cell collection um, for a patient who was doing an auto. So we were collecting his cells and they were going to go back to him after we whomped him with chemo. And so we do peripheral collections. So this patient had a line placed and he just got to sit in a bed for like three or four hours, not really moving for three days. And I could tell he was crawling out of his skin, but the person who made the impact on me was actually his dad. Um, 
his dad was kind of like the super stoic man of few if no words at all. He literally just sat in the corner in the visitor's chair for hours saying nothing. It was, and like the nurses obviously take care of them, but as the person responsible for the instrument itself, I would go in and when I'm in there, I'm clearly gonna see if they need anything and not just be some mute, weird lab person. <laughs> so I would ask if they needed anything and this dad said nothing. Like the most he would do was shake his head. Every once in a while I got a no thank you, but he was just stone cold quiet the entire time, which was weird because his, his son was super social, but he was not. And on the very, very last day when we were finally able to say, hey, congratulations, we got our 8 million cells. You finally don't have to come back here again until you get treated. Um, the dad came up to me and he asked if he could give me a hug. And like, I'm a hugger. COVID and not being able to hug was hard. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. And so this completely silent the entire time old man came over to me, gave me a hug, and threw his N95 mask, gave me a kiss and said, thank you. Kiss on the cheek through his mask. And I could tell from the way that his voice broke that he was fighting back tears, but like stoic men do not cry. Right, 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 right. And just that level of thanks from him was amazing. And it's like, there are definitely days, like I used to work in micro and with my gram stains and my auger plates and just me and no real human interaction. And working with patients, I wasn't sure if I was gonna like it. And there are days when I like being in the lab and doing flow and being left alone, but there are days when working with patients and their people, it's really, really rewarding. My heart. <laughs> That's like, it's, oh, oh. I think in our profession, a lot of people don't get that kind of patient interaction. And definitely not, definitely not. Yeah, and, and you can get lost in just processing samples and blood and you know sometimes it just becomes so routine and I even like jump scare myself sometimes if I like spill an EVTA tube and I'm like whoa 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 that looks like blood what is that about and, <laughs> and I forget that it like came out of a human body just because I'm so used to it just like being in the tube and it being a sample um so take that like up 20 notches and it's like this is a sample of blood from a human being who has a family who has a whole entire life story and just to see that laid out and you know up front and close and personal i think that that really puts things into a good perspective for us definitely and like to be able to have that impact on people mm -hmm. like even even if you're in the laboratory field as a selfless profession if you're com completely selfless not selfish whatsoever you have to admit that it's a very good feeling to be able to know that you have such a positive impact on people to be able to be a part of their care and help so much you know that it can cause people to break character and to continue the heartwarming stories um april shared with us this fantastic story here as well about you know, not only the impact that we can have on patients, but also the impact that patients can have on us. Hi, um, my name is April Orange, and I'm the program director of the McLeod School, McLeod Health School of Medical Laboratory Science. 
Um, sorry for that name mix up. We just recently changed the program's name. Um, I'm from Florence, South Carolina originally, but my career started out in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and so my story about my most impactful lab experience was my very first weekend working in a lab as a lab assistant. Very first call, um, it was a Saturday afternoon and I get a call from a patient's loved one that's requesting the limbs back for their patient who recently passed away. Um, and so that's a lot to take in. Very yeah, first, yeah. The very first call on a weekend by yourself and just like, did I get into the right profession? Because I'm not exactly sure that anybody prepared me to answer this question. Um, and so long story short, um, ended up calling our pathologist on call and found out this is a very common request, um, depending on the patient's background, like religious background or mm -hmm. cultural backgrounds that they needed the limbs back in order for the patient to be whole mm -hmm. um, when they um, buried the patient. And so um, again, first time ever going down to the pathology lab, of course, by myself, it's a little spooky because um, right, of right. course there's no lights on and I know I'm going down there to meet the pathologist to retrieve um, limbs. Um, so talk about unnerving and trying to decide, are they, is Ashton Critchard hanging around the corner, somebody punking me? Um, <laughs> and just trying to figure out, did I really choose the right profession? But the pathologist on call was very helpful, very understanding, reassured me that, hey, listen, you handled it the right way. Um, I'm going to take it from here and help that patient's family complete the process of um, retrieving those limbs. So um, definitely something I remembered. It's happened almost 20 years ago now since I've been in, started my career. So very impactful. It put me in the mindset that not every patient is the same cultural differences, religious differences will dictate how we take care of our patients and how we need to respond and be respectful of those patients. So a lot rolled into one first weekend on the job. So, And clearly, I mean, you're 20 years on the line, still in the profession. So obviously, clearly the right decision in the first yes. place to like have entered this profession. Yeah, so I um, definitely enjoy it. And now that I get to educate the next generation of laboratorians um, and medical laboratory scientists, it gives me that good satisfaction that not only am I taking care of my patients in my community, but it can be far reaching for all over the country, all over the world, that my students will be able to take care of patients everywhere. So it makes me feel good. I think a lot of people, when you ask them, you know, why are they in the profession? Why do you like being a medical laboratory scientist? It's patient first. And I think a lot of people do come into the profession with that mindset is that we are solving the diagnostic puzzle and we're just a little piece of like that big picture. And we are able to immerse ourselves like into a field that has the life changing information. And sure, we're behind the scenes and all that, but we we have that knowledge, we have that information, and just taking it one step above is enlightening. 
This episode of Off the Bench is sponsored by the University of Cincinnati Online. Are you a laboratory science professional interested in leadership, administrative, or higher education opportunities? The University of Cincinnati Online's Master's in Medical Laboratory Science Leadership will equip you to fill these roles and more. Professionals from all lab science backgrounds can qualify for the fully online program, which lets you balance completing your degree with work and life commitments. The program is led by the ASCLS president-elect, Dr. Patricia Tilly. She and the rest of the world-class faculty are there to support you every step of the way. Visit online.uc.edu mlsl to learn more. Yeah, definitely. And it's absolutely heartwarming that April took this and then is now teaching it to her students, right? Like that need for respect and understanding of patients and the fact that patients and their families all have different backgrounds, right? But then to combine that with the knowledge that we have to present it and be a part of the care team in a way that could change things. In this upcoming story, actually, Marianne demonstrates beautifully the need and the importance for that respect and understanding of the different backgrounds that people have and how we can use our knowledge in a way to further impact our community. Here's her stories now. Marianne Downs from Milton, Pennsylvania. So I wanted to talk about some of my impacts on non-medical laboratory professionals. One of the examples that I have was almost 20 years ago, I had a very chance encounter happening, happening to be in the blood bank or in the laboratory on night shift where a young woman came in for a hepatitis C viral titer and load. So from the, just the testing that's ordered, I know she obviously has hepatitis C. She's only 19 years old, went to collect her blood. She explained to me that she had very difficult to find veins. She volunteered and explained that she used to be an IV drug user. And she wasn't anymore. I said, it is okay. And then I spent the time collecting blood from her using the appropriate sized tubes for pediatric collection so that we had low uh, vacuum load on what we collected. And then spent time talking to her about how to conserve and how to protect her veins, leaving pressure on uh, the bandage, how to remove the bandage, and that knowing that we do a lot of laboratory work and medical work on this individual over the next rest of her life that she that was information that would be useful to her. And this young woman was in absolute tears over the care that was given to her. And I I had, you know, the feelings of I feel so awful that she had the experience where she didn't expect that to be normal care. And so to have been able to give that to her knowing what the prevalence of hepatitis C is in the population, knowing all the ways in which one can come into contact with hepatitis C, and then knowing that our patients are patients, our patients are people, and our patients are important, and what that importance is and how we get to live that out in our lives and how that impacts everyone around us and how we can have that impact. Um, And then another example, much more recently with the pandemic, at the time that vaccines were coming out, Of course, there was so much misinformation about vaccines and so much misunderstanding about what vaccines are and the uh, display of these vaccines. 
my daughter was in the military and the military was requiring all of their soldiers to get vaccinated. She was in a training battalion at that time. And she and I had the opportunity to talk about it. And she put me on FaceTime with the individuals in her dormitory so that I could help calm their fears and answer their questions so that they got the answers that they needed to understand while they were getting other conflicting information from their families and from their support networks. And here it was somebody who was outside of the military, who was a scientist, who was able to explain this to them in ways that they can understand and have that impact on them. And that's one of the many ways that I get to have an impact and how I get to explain my science to people who don't understand science. And that is where, even though the day-to-day -day work, we do what we do and we do it well, but where we get to explain that to people who don't understand is where I get to see that impact every day. The explanation of, and I, I, one of the things I get to tell when I teach students early on is you have to understand you have by the time they've entered into medical laboratory training they've already had so much science education they forget what people don't know right right and that you have to relate it to this is what the average individual knows about science you came into this field because you were interested in science in some way shape or form but understanding what other people and the average individual knows about science who was interested in something very different and so they didn't concentrate or even pay much attention to their science classes. Uh, the average individual does not have a college degree, did not have requirements to take college science classes, so they may have had what they had in high school and I didn't necessarily pay that much of attention in high school to things that I didn't care about, which a lot of other people don't either. So that really does become impactful and where we get to show the science of what we do. Mm -hmm. I love that. I mean, she's talking about genuinely life-changing information. I mean, about that patient she was talking about. What, uh, I, you know that she's just going to remember that forever and the kind of care that she received. Um, I love the quote that she said there, our patients are people and people are important. Like, that just really cycles back to what we were just talking about in terms of like giving it perspective um, and things just as simple that we don't realize as explaining science to family members and, you know, this is what the average person knows about science and this is something that they might not know. And I'd like to think that a part of what we're doing here is, you know, making science more attainable to, you know, not just medical laboratory scientists, but if anyone else is just like curious about like who we are and what we do and putting that in a presentable fashion, I think is definitely like a really important part of what we're doing too. Oh, most definitely. And like, again, yeah, we are subject matter experts, but then we also have to remember how to, you know, talk about it and explain it in a way that, you know, we're not explaining to just each other, right? Like mm -hmm. that's, and that's something that I know. As fun I as have that is. With. As fun as it is. <laughs> I know that's something I like personally, I, I fall victim to that a lot where sometimes I'll explain things and just say it something so casually that, you know, my husband, who is a computer guy, is like, you have to explain more of that to me because <laughs> I don't like, you know, that's like you're get, you're putting out words that have zero context. Mm -hmm. Like the other day I asked, like, I think I mentioned the word blood gas and he was telling me how in his mind, blood gas, he was like, is it like, he's like, is it like, he's like, what is that? I don't, he's like, what does that mean? And his, blood his and gas together. 
<laughs> his 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 imagery in his head were like little red cells farting you know that's and like somehow we measured like a gaseous compound from blood i was like well, yes and no and no I just you i know? love that imagery if that's what it takes <laughs> to get it through to people and i love like just the illustration of that and everything right and and so like, yeah like we we are we are the experts in what we do and it's good for us to also practice and explaining it and teaching it to our community especially our like because okay let's be honest high school science what do you remember i remember the mitochondria is the powerhouse it's the powerhouse of the cell yeah that's it (laughs) like like, i feel terrible but that's you know that's the main thing i remember which if that's what i remember heaven forbid what my mom remembers you know like how you know trying to explain it to your parents like Mm -hmm. we have to be able to also switch between the 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 um was it the professional speak as well as casual speak right or the explain like i'm five (laughs) i love being like a like a little make-believe baby professor when i try and like explain things my mom's (laughs) like what'd you do today and i'm like this requires some context bear with me bear with me and then i like pull out a little whiteboard on facetime and i'm like listen (laughs) listen listen if a mom is a o and you know that is this and then you have like the double o the baby's o but sometimes when baby's blood types are different than mommy's red types and they need a dat because sometimes there's things on the surface of the red cell and i i just try my best to like really dumb it down and i'm like education's important and it starts here explaining things about i don't know whatever i know um i think i think everyone should know at least one mls in their life i think anyone in the laboratory profession period i think could add something fun to your life you could learn you could learn some technical knowledge you already know that we like to party uh we are a good community to befriend and we know things about things we know things we have a specialized set of skills yes right (laughs) and in this amazing story next uh, upcoming from Sarah, uh, she actually goes into a story where, with our specialized set of skills, you know, we may have caught something that doctors may not have caught, but also at the same time, it's a lot of like, you know, food for thought kind of story. So here is Sarah's story. My name is Sarah Bergbauer, and I'm currently in academia, but I do have a story to share about when I was a baby tech about 10 years ago. It is a story that I frequently share as an example of a pre-pre-analytical error, and this happened during night shift in a rural hospital lab. A patient was being seen in the ER and had several different types of specimens, which included blood, urine, cerebral spinal fluid, and stool, and all of these were already sent to the laboratory for various tests. Some of those specimens didn't even have tests ordered on them yet. They just collected everything and sent it to the lab. So when we received an order for the detection of cryptosporidium, I got the label off of the printer that said stool sample, and I went and got her stool sample out and started to accession it in. And about the time that I had just finished uh, accessioning in the stool sample for cryptosporidium testing, my colleague comes running from the micro 
department, and she had in her hand a little latex agglutination assay that um, when she saw the word stat crypto on the ER screen, she ran back there to begin testing the patient's CSF. So this is very different. Cryptosporidium, cryptococcus, they both start with crypto. Very different organisms, very different symptoms, tested very differently, different assays, um, different samples. So when she came from micro holding this card, the first thing she said to me as she was looking at it in disbelief, she said, does, does this look positive to you? Because we've never seen one positive before. I looked at it and I said, yes, that's positive, but that's cryptococcus, not cryptosporidium. So what did the ER physician really mean to order? If I had continued to follow the order as ordered, the patient's outcome would have been very different and very much severely worse. And so I remember the horrified look my colleague and I exchanged as we realized the CSF was positive for cryptococcus. And so we immediately called the ER and asked them to change the order so that the findings could be reported into the electronic medical record. So if it hadn't been for my colleague's mistake, <laughs> if you will, and consequent uh, or subsequent um, assumption of an incorrectly ordered test, this patient's physician would have received a negative test result and the patient's meningitis would have gone misdiagnosed. She would have been unresponsive to any typical empirical bacterial meningitis treatment that was given. So this pre-pre-analytical error could have cost the patient their life had the laboratory not realized the wrong test was ordered. So as laboratorians, I'm now going to challenge you to describe the points at which failures occurred. Whose fault was it? And how did this possibly happen? What were some of the factors at different levels of the system that may have contributed to those errors? Yeah, what do you, what do you think about those questions she posed at the end there? Like, what's the thing? I don't know. Like, it seems like, if anything, there was a miscommunication perhaps in the specific order right yeah if they've already collected csf they were probably suspecting something in the first place because csf is so invasive granted it's a different hospital different policies i don't know how different places do it but at, i know at, at the facility i was at you wouldn't collect csf unless it was like you needed to right it's like yeah. so invasive and so there's only so many things that you can really be specifically looking for with cerebrospinal fluid. I mean, it is an invasive procedure. Mm -hmm. There isn't a lot of leeway with what you're looking for there. And for context, for people who might not know what we're differentiating here, because they both start with crypto, which is a reasonable mindset. Right. Um, you know, part of the so problem. Yeah. So on the one hand, we're talking about cryptosporidium, which is a microscopic parasite that causes the diarrheal disease cryptosporidosis. And um, the way that that is tested for in the lab is the examination of stool samples. Um, and that is how you can see the parasite there. And so that's that's one side of things. And then the other one is talking about cryptococcus, and that is a fungi, actually, or fungus? There's a fun fungi. Oh my gosh, Fung I don't know how plurals work. Fungal infection. Um, so to diagnose 
I forgot what I'm talking about, to diagnose cryptococcus. Um, the testing for that is through a sample of tissue or body fluid. So that can be blood or cerebrospinal fluid or even sputum, apparently. Oh, And interesting. that, I don't know, according to the CDC. Um, and there's just a lot of more specified tests there. And so these are two completely different specimen populations um, that we're looking at here. And they mean completely different things. One is a GI bug and the other one, wait, which is which? Now I'm getting confused just talking about it. This is this is the problem. This is what happens. Even though I'm Googling it in two separate tabs, this is a part of the problem. <laughs> and and that's the thing, right? So like even we can be confused about because let's be honest, that's not something that I test for. That's not something you test for. So that's not yeah. in our specific again, body of knowledge. Like not body of knowledge, because mm. we generally know about it. It's not unfamiliar, yeah. but it's not something that we have to use day to day. Right. Yeah. Whereas for well, her and her colleagues testing, that's something that they, even though seeing a positive is rare, they at least understand that, you know, the difference between a crypto versus a crypto. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess the question, like her question of like, you know, where could the error have happened? I think it, I think, I don't know if there was an error. Like it's not technically an error. There was an no, error. It was, it, if it was, anything, it was, it was a miracle. Seriously, and I don't know. I don't know if people believe in miracles. If this is the time and place to talk about that, but honestly, what are the chances? I mean, I don't specifically relate to you know testing for crypto because I'm not a microbiologist because that's not where I am. But I do relate to wanting to be efficient in my turnaround times and looking at my pending log and seeing what to do. And so I can absolutely relate to seeing a test pop up and being like, okay, let me run and do that. and hop on it. But honestly, what are the chances that we in the lab, you know, quote, misinterpret and quote, what the order was, and end up finding something that is completely more significant? Mm-hmm. It's and so like I think the closest experience I've had to something like this is um with gas chromatography testing. So mm. we at our facility we did gas chromatography testing for alcohols and we would test for meth and in the panel, right? You would have methanol, ethanol, isopropanol, acetone, and ethylene glycol, which ethylene glycol is sort of like the bigger scary thing because ethylene glycol is the the um the the glycol found in antifreeze aka poison right and very commonly ingested poison not commonly but it's not uncommon for there to be ethylene glycol testing and like you know poisoning um sure. and the thing is you can order those individually but because of the gas chromatography analyzer you're going to run everything right so there have been times where we'll, we'll run a sample for only ethylene glycol and suddenly methanol is positive or acetone mm -hmm. or isopropanol is positive or we'll run mm -hmm. only ethanol and acetone is positive. Granted, there is a small caveat in that, you know, acetone can naturally occur in ketoacidosis. So, you know, that could happen, but to also have your isopropanol be positive, you know, that's something else. So like, you mm -hmm. know, like it, I can't help but wonder if part of this is also, um, potentially even different facilities, right? Yes. So there's so much variation between hospital and hospital, even within the same system. One of them, in my opinion, uh, due to Epic being Epic, 
for example. Uh, <laughs> Which is a laboratory information system. It is a or... huge laboratory information system. Um, it, God, there's so many, so, so many systems on it right now. Yeah. Um, so many hospital systems. And for the, the thing I can think of that commonly gets misordered and then we reorder because we know what to do with it is um, beta HCG. Because yes. there are three different beta HCG orders in our EPIC system at my place. Because one hospital is beta HCG quantitative. The other uh, place is quantitative beta HCG. And those small changes in the name can mean totally different things. And there's even one more that I, I forget what the last beta HCG is, but that ends up being a mail-out test. So either it can be done mm -hmm. at the facility here the one 30 minutes away or someplace completely different. Right. Mm -hmm. And just depending on how it's ordered, it can create all the difference. Yeah. Right. It and could, for it the could people who don't know, for the people who don't know what beta HCG is and what it's looking for, it is most commonly associated with the pregnancy test. Yes. Right. And so that's the first thing that comes to mind there, but also, and, and this is what you're setting up. I won't steal that from you. You, you take that. I would just keep, I'm oh, yeah and so you know <laughs> since it's a pregnancy test this is a blood pregnancy and blood pregnancy if, if you're ordering a blood pregnancy at that point you're looking for something specific right like mm -hmm. there's something specific you're looking for and you want more than just a positive or negative you're looking for a value but yeah. then at other times like so yeah so you know if you order incorrectly and you order as a mail-out test that extends that testing time rather than an in-house test that becomes an a send out, which takes much longer, mm -hmm. right? But then there's even urine tests, like the urine pregnancy tests, right? We get something called a pregu. Sometimes you'll even see pregus ordered on 90 year old women or 50 year old guys. And, mm -hmm. you know, so you would think that maybe they made that by mistake, but there are also times when they haven't ordered that as a mistake, right? Yep. They can also order a beta HCG on a male to check for cancers testicular cancer exactly uh so you know you never know what's really going on and so it was it's like with our body of knowledge we also have to look at the context clues right and sort of take everything look at everything and make a holistic decision most of the time i think we can say yeah we know this is that or like you know we can test for this but like in this case having crypto and crypto let's be honest, we're all going to shorter names, right? Like we say BMP <laughs> or Chem 10, but a Chem 10 is a BMP plus Mag and Foss. Like everyone's going to shorten a name, but not everyone shortens it the same way. So it seems mm -hmm. like there could have been a communication error or something lost in translation by saying, mm -hmm. give me a crypto test. And whoever ordered the crypto test put down the other crypto test. I, you know, <laughs> I, I have nothing else to say to that other you than- You can see how this would happen, yeah. yeah. It's not unheard of, but also it is a miracle that they were able, that that even happened. But I'm sure, I'm hoping at some point, you know, they would have received the results and taken a look and been like, oh, wait, I actually meant the CSF, you know, and yeah. reorder it correctly. Because I've, I've yeah. seen that too, where someone's like, oh, I ordered uh, a potassium add-on. Oh, sorry. I meant the whole blood potassium add-on, not the chemistry, mm -hmm. but like, you know, it can happen. And hopefully yeah. that would have been corrected eventually. Um, we can hope. And, mm -hmm. you know, it it doesn't hurt to question, basically. You know, it yeah. doesn't hurt to question and to feel comfortable 
enough to question things that you may or may not see because that's the thing right like one of my favorite phrases I heard from somebody is that the only ones who don't look at a textbook are microorganisms themselves or any organisms (laughs) cells don't read textbooks right we know based off the textbook something should look like xyz does the cell know that does e coli know that no it's going to grow however it feels (laughs) like right and that actually leads us into our very next story um, about whether or not textbook knowledge is applicable because of course it is you know Mm -hmm. we we utilize textbook knowledge to a certain degree in the lab because again sometimes things are different and real life doesn't go as the book says but then there are also times exactly cells don't read textbooks (laughs) sometimes you know parasites will read textbooks and you know here is amelia's story about that Hi, I'm Amelia Marrero Green. I am the microbiology supervisor for Lakeland Regional Health in Lakeland, Florida, and I am the uh, an adjunct professor for Florida Southern College um, Medical Laboratory Science Program. And my lab story um, has to do with one of the few times that I actually got to do some bench analysis. So if you work in micro, you either love parasitology or you hate parasitology, and you probably hate parasitology. Um, We do it so infrequently, um, but usually when we do get something to identify, the supervisor is going to be called to kind of make the final um, evaluation. So I was sitting under the hood, just randomly um, helping to plate specimens, which I don't get a chance to do very often either. And we got a phone call from one of the floors asking if our BioFire GI panel um, would identify Ascaris. I said, no, it doesn't. I said, you know, I, I named Giardia, Crypto. I was like, you know, there are a couple of parasites that we can identify on there. But if they want, you know, if they think that the patient has another parasite, send a stool sample, we'll send it out for, for an open parasite. Oh, no, we don't actually have a stool sample. We have a worm. So the patient um, was a child, a little girl that had recently traveled to Guatemala or Ecuador. I cannot remember. I think it was Guatemala and had coughed up this worm. So we said, well, just go ahead and send us the worm. So they we they sent over a specimen cup and there's this worm. And I don't remember if you remember that. Um, I don't know if you remember that show, um, Meerkat Manor where the meerkats are all like in their tunnels and they're all just kind of sitting up like they'll, you know, they'll crawl around and then all of a sudden we'll sit up to full height or whatever. So that's how the worm was kind of sitting up in the cup. Um, And I've never done an actual, I've never had a worm to look at before. We have our, our CAP surveys where they send you pictures and you, you know, you kind of say, okay, I think it's this. And you know, you go by the measurements or whatever, but no, we had to dump it out into a Petri dish measure it. So take, you know, forceps and try to stretch it out and get a measurement on it and then put it under um, a dissecting scope so that we could I- identify it. And it was um, Ascaris. Um, never thought I would see one. And there you go. In my 15, 15-year career as a laboratory scientist, I finally got to see a worm live and in person. And then shortly after that, they sent us a tick. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess my days of thinking that I'm never going to use parasitology, that's just not true. I, I always question, like, why are we still teaching parasitology? Nobody's doing it at the bench. Nope, not true. We are still identifying worms and bugs and all kinds of gross things. But that's the day in the life of a microbiologist, I guess. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I'm just imagining like what the, I don't know why, part of me is like, 
I wonder what the worm was thinking as it just flew out of a out of its home. Yeah. <laughs> lands in a cup and stared at it like, what the heck is going on here? I know. That's crazy. Yeah. If we were thrown off. Imagine how the worm felt. <laughs> so, yeah. And it was, I mean, it was just so funny because it was literally just almost like a snake kinds of, you know, sits up and rears back or whatever. And I'm like, listen, worm, <laughs> don't think you're getting anywhere near, <laughs> near my lungs or my intestinal tract or wherever it is that you came from. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. Grossed out a lot of people. I can imagine. Yeah. Oh. Especially the generalists. Cause we took pictures and then I presented oh, it to yeah. them and they're like, yeah, we're happy to do our chemistry and hematology and please don't ever send us worms. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I really can't help but smile while I like listen to that one because it, it's not like the craziest thing to ever happen. But not. just every single visual that came to my mind while she was telling that story. Like, I had completely forgotten about Meerkat Manor. That was, like, <laughs> such a fad forever ago. But I freaking love the visual of the meerkats just, like, popping up. Like, what's that? What's that? What's that? And, like, everybody just being like, wait, what just happened? They sent us a worm? An actual parasite in the parasitology lab? Wait. So when she was telling, when she was going on, right, and telling the story of, and saying how, like, you know, she's looking at it, and it's like looking back at her, all I could think of was that, like, you know, that sound on, like, Instagram and TikTok, where it's like, oh. she looks at him, and he looks at her, <laughs> and she's, like, just staring, like, the stare down, right? Like, I, oh my gosh, like, and I, I know I said it in, in the story, like, you know, I can't help but imagine that worm. Because, like, can you imagine that worm's perspective? It's gone it has from, eyes, like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right? Like, it it just flies out of its house, lands in a cup, <laughs> goes in a peach, gets stretched, and, like, mm. you know, measured. It's like, that's, like, you know, how I imagine fish when they get tagged and, like, re-released back into the ocean. They're oh, like, my gosh. Yes. What? <laughs> oh my gosh like i'm sure that parasite's no. not being re-released but you, you know what i mean it's like <laughs> well, we're not advocating for that either <laughs> we're not advocating that that people should send dry ice in the tube station we're not comparing people to salt and pepper shakers and we're not telling people to release parasites into the wild Please if, don't. If we take nothing. um oh my gosh but yeah no for people who have never heard the word ascaris before it is also known as the giant roundworm. It is a parasite. For um, some context there, females can measure between 20 and 35 centimeters long with a straight tail. The males are smaller at 15 to 31 centimeters, and those have curved tails instead of straight tails. So um, I like that she said that it sat up like a snake, so this was... I guess a male with its curved tail, its curved snake tail. And also, you know, just a little fun fact about Ascaris. Apparently, Ascaris lacks circular muscles and as a result moves in a serpentine pattern as it alternates contracting longitudinal muscles on either side of its body. And so, like, if you weren't already imagining just this little <laughs> tiny snaky boy in a little cup like that's quite actually what we're what we're dealing with here it's about the shade of uh cooked spaghetti uh, <laughs> you may have heard some lab people refer to parasite 
mounds as the forbidden spaghetti because it is awful it's it's terrible (laughs) i'm so sorry darkest (laughs) sense of humor oh my gosh i mean there are just so many weird things that come about in the micro labs in all labs if you think about like how often Mm. how why in the world do you think you would normally see purple serum or green i'm sorry what what? purple serum (laughs) You, you never heard of this wait wait what did you say purple serum or green serum okay green sure did you say purple yeah purple like why why uh two potential reasons (gasps) Uh, teach me so one of the ones i know of is uh patients given cyanocate i just never heard of purple like i heard you say it and i was like wait i misheard her purple serum because i know there's purple urine you know um, sure you're in yeah it can be black it can be yellow black and okay. yellow, black and yellow. a common side effect of the common name of the drug which is hydroxocobalamin is a stunning dark red slash purple discoloration of the pa- patient's skin mucosal membranes skin. and body fluids including plasma and urine whoa yeah that's a lot that's a lot of colors going on oh yeah everywhere yeah, there we go. You pronounced that word. <laughs> you know, you can see all sorts of crazy things in the lab. And we yeah. are our own subject matter experts. And then, you know, with this podcast, hopefully we are helping build community. And we are able to share all these stories within our community. And we're hoping that, you know, yeah, have everything cycle around. And, you know, we're hoping that you guys will share us some more of your own stories. You know, let us yeah. know if you let us know if you like this kind of format of episodes do you like us talking about stories and sharing stories that people have sent in do you want to share a story oh our dms are open this episode of off the bench was sponsored by the university of cincinnati online do not wait to advance your laboratory science career any longer all laboratory backgrounds can qualify for the master of science in medical laboratory science leadership at the university of cincinnati online You can balance work, life, and school while you learn the skills you need to advance. Visit online.uc.edu slash MLSL to learn more and apply today. Um, Are are we not going to talk about um, the the shaky shake? Oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. So there is actually something else that I learned during this talk. One, aside from, you know, terrifying Ascaris parasites, you know, that can sit (laughs) up and stare at you. as I am not a microbiologist, I learned what a stomacher was. So we'll end we'll end this episode with a new another fun fact for you about something called stomacher. For those of you who don't work in micro, apparently, apparently. So for context, I was telling her about I was telling talking to Amelia about other gross things in the lab I've seen, like a necrotic foot, and I had asked, you know, how do you actually culture a foot, like the the necrotic part <laughs> of a foot? Because I, you know brain not mathin um so she was saying how you know they'll pick out the most necrotic looking part put that sample inside a plastic bag and put that bag inside a stomacher which apparently is a machine that has two paddles and will shake or like you know smack the bag back and forth and obviously there's saline or whatever fluid is inside to like wash the sample and it washes the organisms out of that sample of necrotic foot and from there they can then culture it you know get the organism out and 
you know, a, a stomacher with paddles that slap a bag. <laughs> I love learning new things. Like, like I just, everything about this is just, I'm just going to be leaving this conversation just thinking about it for hours and like the shaking <laughs> bag with something inside of it. Like, you know how like in Finding Nemo, you just like, there's Darla and they give her the little bag with like the fish and she goes, fishy, why are you sleeping? Like, she, and that's all I can imagine is just like a necrotic and Darla going like fishy and like shaking this like talk about employable skills she could be a stomacher that doesn't a sound like a real word is that, am I saying right, that? It does, stomacher it is it's a stomacher it, it, <laughs> it doesn't sound real I love I hope someone out there listening to this episode turns around and proposes a name for their stomacher machine to be Darla <laughs> I would love that. That's just the only thing that I can relate it to as someone who like does not use that on a daily basis. I'm, I'm putting it in terms that I can understand, which is clearly animated references. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, both of us have learned something new. Like, but like I learned what stomach. We both learned what stomachers were. You learn about cyanokit, and you know the magic of cyanokits and colors. Mm. And you know what? If you want, like I said, if you want to share a story with us, if you want us to learn something new, uh, reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to me on Instagram at warbler.works or on uh, Twitter, X, warbler. X. I think, I think we've adopted I X think it's X, right? Point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also still there. It's warbler underscore works there. Uh, or you can find us on Facebook and, you know, Drop a message in the comments. We'd love to talk to you there. Or Dorian, what if they want to reach you? Where can they find you? I am also on X uh, at Dorian Redding. And if you've been following the podcast, you know that I am trying to be more active on social media. So um, bear with me as I try to as I try to become available to the social media masses. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for thanks for talking with me, Sophia. Uh, thanks for being here with me always. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you too. And thanks for like, you know, yeah. Thanks for listening to these stories with me. I, I Oh, can I, can I say that I love hearing from our listeners? We, we get people reaching out, you know, to our official ASCLS email, even when, you know, people comment on our posts about our new episodes, it just absolutely warms my heart. And I love, like, I'm very much aware that we're doing this podcast for listeners for actual people. Again, maybe this is just like my lab scientist brain coming in, but I'm like, oh yeah, we're just doing this podcast for the samples, I guess. Um, no, they're, <laughs> they're people. There's people who are listening with their communities and I just love hearing from them. So I it, I encourage everyone who is, I encourage everyone who is taking the time out of their day, out of their busy lives and schedule to like listen to us just go on and on over here. Like, tell us, tell us about it. I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear stories. We clearly love stories. Oh, yeah. Um, stories are great. Everyone everyone <laughs> has a story. Everyone has a story that mm. they're allowed to share. You know, so be sure to share those with us. Because <laughs> there's some, you know, there's some stories that we just don't talk about. You know, like like the mysterious, like, you know, uh, uh, the, like, like paper towel dispensers that randomly will turn on and like spit out paper towels for Ooh, miles. You know, ghosties, lab ghosties. We don't, <laughs> we don't, we, we don't, don't, talk we about don't that. invoke their name. No, 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 no. We, we don't, we don't, uh, <laughs> right. we don't mess with that juju bee. Um, <laughs> but you know, happy Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving, Dorian. 
Happy Thanksgiving to our listeners. You know, we are so thankful for you guys and so thankful to have a lab community where we feel safe enough to share stories and talk about stuff like this. Yeah. Hashtag lab family. Let's put that in the description. (laughs) Hashtag Hashtag lab family. Hashtag lab for life. (laughs) Lab for life. A-M-A-S-E-L-S. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All All right, guys. Well, we will see you on our next episode, which would really just be an update slash announcement episode in December as we wish mm-hmm. happy holidays to everyone uh, next month. So, you know, Sounds good. reach out. Good. Let's yeah. let's talk to each other on social media. Yeah. Yeah. And we will see you next time. We'll listen to you next time. Wait, yeah. Ruined that. <laughs> 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 yeah, we can only I'm see done, them. Sophia. You do the outro. I'm done doing things. We, it's fine. We will see y'all next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>